Section three of the Plain Speaker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Plain Speaker Opinions on Books, Men, and Things by William Hazlitt. Section three on dreams dr spurzheim in treating of the physiology of the brain has the following curious passage the state of somnambulism equally proves the plurality of the organs this is the state of incomplete sleep wherein several organs are watching it is known that the brain acts upon the external world by means of voluntary motion of the voice and of the five external senses now if in sleeping some organs be active dreams take place if the action of the brain be propagated to the muscles there follow motions if the action of the brain be propagated to the vocal organs the sleeping person speaks indeed it is known that sleeping persons dream and speak others dream speak hear and answer others still dream rise do various things and walk this latter state is called somnambulism that is the state of walking during sleep now as the ear can hear so the eyes may see while the other organs sleep and there are facts quite positive which prove that several persons in the state of somnambulism have seen but always with open eyes there are also convulsive fits in which the patients see without hearing and vice versa some somnambulists do things of which they are not capable in a state of watching and dreaming persons reason sometimes better than they do when awake this phenomenon is not astonishing etc there is here a very singular mixing up of the flattest truisms with the most gratuitous assumptions so that the one being told with great gravity and the other delivered with the most familiar air one is puzzled in a cursory perusal to distinguish which is which this is an art of stultifying the reader like that of the juggler who shows you some plain matter-of-fact experiment just as he is going to play off his capital trick the mind is by this alternation of style thrown off its guard and between wondering first at the absurdity and then at the superficiality of the work becomes almost a convert to it a thing exceedingly questionable is stated so roundly you think there must be something in it 
the plainest proposition is put in so doubtful and cautious a manner you conceive the writer must see a great deal farther into the subject than you do you mistrust your ears and eyes and are in a fair way to resign the use of your understanding it is a fine style of mystifying again it is the practice with the german school and in particular with dr spurzheim to run counter to common sense and the best authenticated opinions they must always be more knowing than everybody else and treat the wisdom of the ancients and the wisdom of the moderns much in the same supercilious way it has been taken for granted generally that people see with their eyes and therefore it is stated in the above passage as a discovery of the author imparted in dreadful secrecy that sleepwalkers always see with their eyes open the meaning of which is that we are not to give too implicit or unqualified an assent to the principle at which modern philosophers have arrived with some pains and difficulty that we acquire our ideas of external objects through the senses the transcendental sophists wish to back out of that as too conclusive and well-defined a position they would be glad to throw the whole of what has been done on this question into confusion again in order to begin de novo like children who construct houses with cards and when the pack is built up shuffle them all together on the table again these intellectual sisyphuses are always rolling the stone of knowledge up a hill for the perverse pleasure of rolling it down again having gone as far as they can in the direction of reason and good sense rather than seem passive or the slaves of any opinion they turn back with a wonderful look of sagacity to all sorts of exploded prejudices and absurdity it is a pity that we cannot let well done alone and that after labouring for centuries to remove ignorance we set our faces with the most wilful officiousness against the stability of knowledge the physiognomical system of doctors gall and spurzheim is full of this sort of disgusting cant we are still only to believe in all unbelief in what they tell us the less credulous we are of other things the more faith we shall have in reserve for them by exhausting our stock of scepticism and caution on such obvious matters of fact as that people always see with their eyes open we shall be prepared to swallow their crude and extravagant theories whole and not be astonished at the phenomenon that persons sometimes reason better asleep than awake 
i have alluded to this passage because i myself am or used some time ago to be a sleep-walker and know how the thing is in this sort of disturbed unsound sleep the eyes are not closed and are attracted by the light i used to get up and go towards the window and make violent efforts to throw it open the air in some measure revived me or i might have tried to fling myself out i saw objects indistinctly the houses for instance facing me on the opposite side of the street but still it was some time before i could recognize them or recollect where i was that is i was still asleep and the dimness of my senses as far as it prevailed was occasioned by the greater numbness of my memory this phenomenon is not astonishing unless we choose in all such cases to put the cart before the horse for in fact it is the mind that sleeps and the senses so to speak only follow the example the mind dozes and the eyelids close in consequence we do not go to sleep because we shut our eyes i can however speak to the fact of the eyes being open when their sense is shut or rather when we are unable to draw just inferences from it it is generally in the night-time indeed or in a strange place that the circumstance happens but as soon as the light dawns on the recollection the obscurity and perplexity of the senses clear up the external impression is made before much in the same manner as it is after we are awake but it does not lead to the usual train of associations connected with that impression for example the name of the street or town where we are who lives at the opposite house how we came to sleep in the room where we are etc all which are ideas belonging to our waking experience and are at this time cut off or greatly disturbed by sleep it is just the same as when persons recover from a swoon and fix their eyes unconsciously on those about them for a considerable time before they recollect where they are would any one but a german physiologist think it necessary to assure us that at this time they see but with their eyes open or pretend that though they have lost all memory or understanding during their fainting fit their minds act then more vigorously and freely than ever because they are not distracted by outward impressions the appeal is made to the outward sense in the instances we have seen but the mind is deaf to it because its functions are for the time gone it is ridiculous to pretend with this author that in sleep some of the organs of the mind rest while others are active it might as well be pretended that in sleep one eye watches while the other is shut 
the stupor is general the faculty of thought itself is impaired and whatever ideas we have instead of being confined to any particular faculty or the impressions of any one sense and invigorated thereby float at random from object to object from one class of impressions to another without coherence or control the conscious or connecting link between our ideas which forms them into separate groups or compares different parts and views of a subject together seems to be that which is principally wanting in sleep so that any idea that presents itself in this anarchy of the mind is lord of the ascendant for the moment and is driven out by the next straggling notion that comes across it the bundles of thought are as it were untied loosened from a common centre and drift along the stream of fancy as it happens hence the confusion not the concentration of the faculties that continually takes place in this state of half perception the mind takes in but one thing at a time but one part of a subject and therefore cannot correct its sudden and heterogeneous transitions from one momentary impression to another by a larger grasp of understanding thus we confound one person with another merely from some accidental coincidence the name or the place where we have seen them or their having been concerned with us in some particular transaction the evening before they lose and regain their proper identity perhaps half a dozen times in this rambling way nor are we able though we are somewhat incredulous and surprised at these compound creations to detect the error from not being prepared to trace the same connected subject of thought to a number of varying and successive ramifications or to form the idea of a whole we think that mr such a one did so and so then from a second face coming across us like the slides of a magic lantern it was not he but another then someone calls him by his right name and he is himself again we are little shocked at these gross contradictions for if the mind was capable of perceiving them in all their absurdity it would not be liable to fall into them it runs into them for the same reason that it is hardly conscious of them when made that which was now a horse a bear a cloud even with a thought the rack dislimbs and makes it indistinct as water is in water the difference so far then between sleeping and waking seems to be that in the latter we have a greater range of conscious recollections a larger discourse of reason and associate ideas in longer trains and more as they are connected one with another in the order of nature 
whereas in the former any two impressions that meet or are alike join company and then are parted again without notice like the froth from the wave so in madness there is i should apprehend the same tyranny of the imagination over the judgment that is the mind has slipped its cable and single images meet and jostle and unite suddenly together without any power to arrange or compare them with others with which they are connected in the world of reality there is a continual phantasmagoria whatever shapes and colours come together are by the heat and violence of the brain referred to external nature without regard to the order of time place or circumstance from the same want of continuity we often forget our dreams so speedily if we cannot catch them as they are passing out at the door we never set eyes on them again there is no clue or thread of imagination to trace them by in a morning sometimes we have had a dream that we try in vain to recollect it is gone like the rainbow from the cloud at other times so evanescent is their texture we forget that we have dreamt at all and at these times the mind seems to have been a mere blank and sleep presents only an image of death hence has arisen the famous dispute whether the soul thinks always on which mr locke and different writers have bestowed so much tedious and unprofitable discussion some maintaining that the mind was like a watch that goes continually though more slowly and irregularly at one time than another while the opposite party contended that it often stopped altogether bringing the example of sound sleep as an argument and desiring to know what proof we could have of thoughts passing through the mind of which it was itself perfectly unconscious and retained not the slightest recollection i grant we often sleep so sound or have such faint imagery passing through the brain that if we awake by degrees we forget it altogether we recollect our first waking and perhaps some imperfect suggestions of fancy just before but beyond this all is mere oblivion but i have observed that whenever i have been waked up suddenly and not always left to myself to recover from this state of mental torpor i have been always dreaming of something i e thinking according to the tenor of the question let any one call you at any time however fast asleep you may be you make out their voice in the first surprise to be like someone's you were thinking of in your sleep let an accidental noise the falling of something in the next room rouse you up you constantly find something to associate it with or translate it back into the language of your slumbering thoughts 
you are never taken completely at a non-plus summoned as it were out of a state of non-existence it is easy for any one to try the experiment upon himself that is to examine every time he is waked up suddenly so that his waking and sleeping state are brought into immediate contact whether he has not in all such cases been dreaming of something and not fairly caught napping for myself i think i can speak with certainty it would indeed be rather odd to awake out of such an absolute privation and suspense of thought as is contended for by the partisans of the contrary theory it would be a peep into the grave a consciousness of death an escape from the world of non-entity the vividness of our impressions in dreams of which so much has been said seems to be rather apparent than real or if this mode of expression should be objected to as unwarrantable rather physical than mental it is a vapour a fume the effect of the heat-oppressed brain the imagination gloats over an idea and dotes at the same time however warm or brilliant the colour of these changing appearances they vanish with the dawn they are put out by our waking thoughts as the sun puts out a candle it is unlucky that we sometimes remember the heroic sentiments the profound discoveries the witty repartees that we have uttered in our sleep the one turn to bombast the others are mere truisms and the last absolute nonsense yet we clothe them certainly with a fancied importance at the moment this seems to be merely the effervescence of the blood or of the brain physically acting it is an odd thing in sleep that we not only fancy we see different persons and talk to them but that we hear them make answers and startle us with an observation or a piece of news and though we of course put the answer into their mouths we have no idea beforehand what it will be and it takes us as much by surprise as it would in reality this kind of successful ventriloquism which we practise upon ourselves may perhaps be in some measure accounted for from the short-sightedness and incomplete consciousness which were remarked above as the peculiar characteristics of sleep the power of prophesying or foreseeing things in our sleep as from a higher and more abstracted sphere of thought need not be here argued upon there is however a sort of profundity in sleep and it may be usefully consulted as an oracle in this way it may be said that the voluntary power is suspended and things come upon us as unexpected revelations which we keep out of our thoughts at other times 
we may be aware of a danger that yet we do not choose while we have the full command of our faculties to acknowledge to ourselves the impending event will then appear to us as a dream and we shall most likely find it verified afterwards another thing of no small consequence is that we may sometimes discover our tacit and almost unconscious sentiments with respect to persons or things in the same way we are not hypocrites in our sleep the curb is taken off from our passions and our imagination wanders at will when awake we check these rising thoughts and fancy we have them not in dreams when we are off our guard they return securely and unbidden we may make this use of the infirmity of our sleeping metamorphosis that we may repress any feelings of this sort that we disapprove in their incipient state and detect ere it be too late an unwarrantable antipathy or fatal passion infants cannot disguise their thoughts from others and in sleep we reveal the secret to ourselves it should appear that i have never been in love for the same reason i never dream of the face of any one i am particularly attached to i have thought almost to agony of the same person for years nearly without ceasing so as to have her face always before me and to be haunted by a perpetual consciousness of disappointed passion and yet i never in all that time dreamt of this person more than once or twice and then not vividly i conceive therefore that this perseverance of the imagination in a fruitless track must have been owing to mortified pride to an intense desire and hope of good in the abstract more than to love which i consider as an individual and involuntary passion and which therefore when it is strong must predominate over the fancy in sleep i think myself into love and dream myself out of it i should have made a very bad endymion in this sense for all the time the heavenly goddess was shining over my head i should never have had a thought about her if i had waked and found her gone i might have been in a considerable taking coleridge used to laugh at me for my want of the faculty of dreaming and once on my saying that i did not like the preternatural stories in the arabian nights for the comic parts i love dearly he said that must be because you never dream there is a class of poetry built on this foundation which is surely no inconsiderable part of our nature since we are asleep and building up imaginations of this sort half our time i had nothing to say against it 
it was one of his conjectural subtleties in which he excels all the persons i ever knew but i had some satisfaction in finding afterwards that i had bishop atterbury expressly on my side in this question who has recorded his detestation of sinbad the sailor in an interesting letter to pope perhaps he too did not dream yet i dream sometimes i dream of the louvre intus et in cute. i dreamt i was there a few weeks ago and that the old scene returned that i looked for my favourite pictures and found them gone or erased the dream of my youth came upon me a glory and a vision unutterable that comes no more but in darkness and in sleep my heart rose up and i fell on my knees and lifted up my voice and wept and i awoke i also dreamt a little while ago that i was reading the new eloise to an old friend and came to the concluding passage in julia's farewell letter which had much the same effect upon me the words are trop heureuse d'acheter au prix de ma vie le droit de t'aimer toujours sans crime et de te le dire encore une fois avant que je meure i used to sob over this passage twenty years ago and in this dream about it lately i seemed to live these twenty years over again in one short moment i do not dream ordinarily and there are people who never could see anything in the new eloise are we not quits end of section three